Welcome to episode 11, Top 5 Movies, Crime Genre. On this episode, Johnny and Eddie each discuss their top five crime movies. Johnny tells us the movie that he believes is the best movie ever made. Eddie challenges Johnny to guess the famous dialogue he is trying to imitate. We invite you to grab some popcorn and your favorite beverage. Take a seat and put up your feet as we're talking movies. Welcome back. I'm Johnny Popcorn. And I'm Eddie Klieg. And we're talking movies. At this part of the program, I usually do a bit of an introduction of some kind. However, today, I think Eddie has something he wants to say, so I'm going to turn this part of it over to him. Go ahead, Eddie. Okay. Now, this is new to me, once in a lifetime type of thing. But I made an error last week that I need to correct. Last week, we were talking Jim Henson. Our guest said the two Muppet movies she did not like were The Muppet Christmas Carol came out in 1992. Muppet Treasure Island came out in 1996. I said those were the first two movies that Disney made when they gained control of Jim Henson. The only problem is Disney purchased the Muppets from Jim Henson Studios in the 2000s. I just want to put the record straight. That's my correction from last week. See, that wasn't so bad. So the question is, where are we going today, Eddie? Well, today we're going to start a new segment. It's called our top five genre films. We'll do this occasionally. As long as this works out today, we still haven't seen if it's going to work out or not. Johnny and I are both going to give our top five movies. Neither of us know what the other is going to say, what movie they're going to say. We're going to go back and forth. We're starting at five and going up to number one. This episode, the theme is crime. And that's about a crime that has happened, is happening in the film or about a criminal, that kind of thing. So we're talking top five crime genre movies. And we're going to do it from the bottom up. And as Eddie said, we don't know which films each of us is presenting. It should be kind of interesting. One thing Eddie teased me about, he said, they could be in, I could have a black and white film as long as there was sound. Today, there's only one that is black and white. And I must say, the other part of this exercise, when I start thinking about all the films either I've seen, know about, or whatever that relates somewhat to crime or criminals, it's a pretty big list and kind of cutting it down. So I've made my selections. As I said, we do things either by actors, directors, so on and so forth. And I always like to look at a film a lot of times by would I watch it again or do I watch it again? Is it worth watching again? So that it falls into some of why I made my decisions. Of the five films, three of them are adapted for the screen from a book, and the other two are written for the screen, but were inspired by some element of something that actually happened. It's not exactly correct, but it's what inspired that, that writing. So the first film I'm talking about is in black and white. It came out in 1967, and it is based on a best-selling novel. And in fact, it was rather sensational. And the novel deals with an actual crime, a true story. And this film and the book set in motion a more realistic and graphic portrayal of crimes committed on the screen. In fact, when this first came out in 1967, it was rated 17, which in those days, no one under that age could attend without a parent. I'm talking about the movie In Cold Blood. It was based on the best-selling novel by Truman Capote. He was paid $400,000 by the director who also adapted the screenplay, and that is Richard Brooks. 
So it was a pretty big sum. Now, this was a best-selling novel. It came out in 1965. The film was made and released in December of 67. And it deals with basically two wandering no-goods, if you will, played by two unknowns. And Richard Brooks, somebody wanted from the studio, wanted Steve McQueen and Paul Newman to play the roles. He didn't want to star in it. First of all, I'm not sure they would have accepted these roles because they're pretty despicable characters. But basically, these two drifters, these two no-goods, if you will, played by Robert Blake and Scott Wilson. Two guys hear about a farm, a very rich farmer, they think, who has cash stored in a safe, and his name is Herb Clutter. So they break into the house, tie up the family, the son, the daughter, the mother, the other two daughters are off somewhere, and the father. He has no money in the house. He writes all of his business. He's a farmer who uses check. So they find nothing, but they drop him up. They kill each of the kids and the mother with shotguns. And Mr. Clutter, after a brief torture and he can't admit anything, they slit his throat. It's a very graphic film. It's a very graphic story. I read the book when it first came out and I have watched the movie. First time, I must admit, I saw it on television. And in fact, I had to go out of the city that I was living in to see it because the stations in that city would not show it. And even though it was being shown on CBS, National TV, the film portrays these two guys, the murder itself, but it's a lot in flashback. The key thing is it took place in Kansas. It's very stark. That's why he chose black and white. It was refilmed in the actual home in which the crimes were committed. John Forsyth plays the officer who basically from Kansas tracks them down. The thing is, the most compelling part of this is the fact that Truman Capote spent a lot of time in Kansas meeting with these characters to write the book. And they are both executed. They're, they're tried, convicted, and executed. And the executions are shown at the end of the film. Not to give you a real spoiler, but that's what this is about. It's pretty gritty. The one thing I did want to say, if you want to get some background on this, there were two films that came out, one in 2005, 2006. One, they're both based on Capote the story of how Capote wrote the book. One was Philip Seymour Hoffman. Capote was accompanied by the woman who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee, and she's played in the one with Hoffman, played by Catherine Keener. The one which I enjoyed better is with Toby Jones, 2006, and Sandra Bullock plays Harper Lee. There it is, In Cold Blood. It was put up for four Oscars, including Mr. Brooks for Best Screenplay, and the music by a relatively unknown a composer called Quincy Jones. So that's my number five. Who happens to be uh, alive and well. Yes, he is alive and well. God bless. Okay, so one thing we're going to notice right away are my top five crime movies are going to be so much different than Johnny's top five. And I must say ahead of time, for many years, I was in Disney, Pixar, Disney Channel, a little bit of Nickelodeon here or there mode with my daughters being young, so not many movies. This is before I met Johnny as well. So here we go. None of these are Disney movies. They're going to be different. You'll see. It'll play out here. So my, my number five is from 2017, Logan Lucky. It was directed by Steven Soderbergh, starring Chatham Tatum. Adam Driver, Daniel Craig, Katie Holmes, Seth MacFarlane. When Jimmy Logan, Channum Tatum, gets fired, he convinces his brother Clyde, who's played by Adam Driver, to help him rob the Charlotte Motor Speedway during a NASCAR race. But they would need the help of Joe Bang, played by Daniel Craig, a convicted safecracker who is currently doing time. All they have to do is break Joe out, blow the tra racetrack vault, 
get away with the cash, return Joe to prison, and get Jimmy to his daughter's beauty pageant on time. What could possibly go wrong? Well, there is the Logan family curse. Now, these two guys are dumb and dumber type of characters. Uh, have you seen this movie? Uh, no, I am aware of it, but I did not watch so basically, the one brother loses his job. He's got a kid. He's got an ex-wife who's now, I guess, going to be getting married again. He's down on his luck. He goes to the bar where his brother, Adam Driver, who's a real, is a not, the, not so smart in this one. And he only has one arm. He was in Iraq, and he throws this arm around. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Anyways, Jimmy Logan, he overhears someone talking about the raceway and how much money it makes and how they're using a system that the bank with, what are those tubes called, where it sucks them <laughs> You know what I'm talking There it is. There we go. They plot this plan. And part of the plan is to get this uh, explosion expert who is now in jail, Joey Bang, to get him out of jail and get him to help them. So Daniel Craig, you know, everyone knows Daniel Craig. The name's Bond. James Bond. It's very funny. I am in car, sir, Ray Ted. American accents are easy to do for English actors, they claim. Wow, it was a crazy accent. It's about a crime. It does say crime genre on the label. It is very funny. Hillary Swank is actually in it. She appears like out of out of the blue there towards the end. She's the FBI agent who's investigating these robberies. I really think that this is a really good one. I've seen it twice. So by your rating of did I see it more than once, that's why it's on my top five. I will say that uh, it cost $29 million to make. <laughs> Gross $27 million in the U.S., $48 altogether worldwide. That's my number five. Well, in Cold Blood made $13 million in 1967. It was acclaimed, but it was not probably, a lot of people were repelled by it. They, they loved the book. A lot of people didn't go to see the movie, I think. But I, again, the ticket prices, this is the other thing you have to, I don't know what we would extrapolate it to. It's like billions. Yeah, yeah. I do want to also mention that I highly doubt any of the movies that I'm going to say have been considered for an Academy Award. So <laughs> I just want to add that to the mix. Well, the ones that I have, several of them are top notch. The next one that I have is, again, based on my love of the director's work. He actually did a lot of work on uh, television. So he knew about pacing. His movies all move. There's not a lot of static situations. Even when people are talking, they're usually on the move or there's a sense of moving the script forward. This is Michael Mann. And if you haven't seen his remake of Last of the Mohicans in 1992, it was terrific. Daniel Day-Lewis, Madeline Stowe. Terrific film. Anyway, that's not this one. I'm talking about the movie Heat, 1995. This one is a stellar cast with De Niro and Pacino leading the pack. It's not the first time. It was hyped as the first time they appeared in a the film. They actually appeared in Godfather 2, but they were never in the same scene. Here, and this is inspired by an original case, a guy who had been serving time in San Quentin back in the 60s. He was a master robber, and he had this mastermind thing of pulling off the big eyes. Well, the real guy did in Chicago, but he was gunned down. But there was a big shootout. So in this takes place in Los Angeles, and it's modern day. De Niro is the key guy. He carries the same name in the, in the movie as the original character. And he's chased around by the investigating officer who is Al Pacino. You have Val Kilmer. You have Wes Studi. You have Tom Sizemore. You have Dennis Haysbert, Ashley Judd, on and on and on. A stellar cast. But the two things about this film, the ending, pull off this heist in Los Angeles, and it ends up, they end up shooting some police officers, which really makes the whole 
thing turned into a mess. But there's a massive shootout. They're caught and trapped coming out of the bank. And the shootout alone, I don't know how they filmed it. They're shooting up cars. It's right in the middle of the street. It is an amazing, amazing just watching the film for those sequences alone is worth it. It's a long movie. It's a detailed character study. And the whole thing is about how De Niro is going to be chased. Is he eventually going to be caught by Pacino? The ending, which takes place at Los Angeles International Airport. For those of you a bit older who remember the movie Bullet with Steve McQueen, that ending took place at the San Francisco International Airport. And that will this ending will be a little bit reminiscent of that one. This film was, Eddie would say, critical and commercial success. It grows $67 million. Again, Mann wrote the script, and it has maintained acclamation again for what Mr. Mann has done with the script and with the storyline. They were actually going to do a sequel to this, and he's working on it. It's a sequel that's actually a prequel. Apparently, he's written the book for the film which he completed in January of this year. But again, the movie is Heat, by directed and written by Michael Mann. I have a question for you. Well, not a question. I want to make a, a what-if statement. What if De Niro and Pacino did interact in The Godfather? That would be one wacky movie. Uh, yeah, it would be a little difficult because well, De Niro was his... There'd be some time traveling involved. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Mafia's involved in a lot of stuff. Well, when these two characters finally meet in a coffee shop across the way from each other, and they basically challenge each other, it's really, it, it's just terrific watching the two guys. Again, it, it, you just want to watch these people do their thing. So, but it, it's action-packed, and the supporting cast is just outstanding. I take back that none of these movies that I am talking about have awards or nominations because now I'm, I'm looking it up on the Wayback Machine and I'm seeing there are. The one I'm going to tell you now has won one and was nominated five times. Oh, one thing I want to mention about Heat, there was a big shootout. Two guys robbed a bank in Los Angeles two years later. And this film was, was accused of being the set piece, if you will, because there was a spate of robberies across the world that used this scenario to pull off those robberies, both in South Africa, Denmark, Colombia. The two guys that did it in Los Angeles were killed by the police, and they were in the neighborhoods. It was actually wow. shown on TV. There's been countless times that you and I have exited a movie saying, geez, oh man, they're giving this, you know, this type of person... Oh, yeah. <laughs> ideas. So that's a real-life one where that happened. That's crazy. So my question was, is yep. the Teen Choice Award, does that count as a... Well, it's an award. No, that's true. Okay. Yeah. So this one had a Teen <laughs> Choice Award. This is my number four. It is Ocean's 13, 2007. Some of you are probably saying, what? What about Ocean's 11? Well, Ocean's 11 was great, but Ocean 13 has something that Ocean's 11 doesn't and that Heat does. Al Stinkin' Pacino is in it. A ruthless Al, Al Stinkin' Pacino. Pacino. So uh, that's <laughs> why it's great. Plus, the first one was about, it was about a robbery, but really the undertone was he wanted his wife back. This one's different. The last time we saw Danny Ocean's crew, they were paying back ruthless casino mongol Bennett after stealing millions from him. That was in uh, Ocean's 12 that I didn't like, so I... 
I pretend that never happened. However, it's been a while since they've come back together, which is all about to change. When one of their own, Ruben, builds a hotel with another casino owner, Willie Banks, played by Al Pacino, the last thing he ever wanted to do was get cut out of the deal personally by the lonesome bank. Banks' attitude even goes so far as to finding the amusement in Ruben's misfortune when the double cross lands Ruben in the hospital because of a heart attack. However, Danny and his crew won't stand for it, and they unite and even get their old enemy involved. They need his financing to get back at Banks. You've seen this movie, of course. Yes, I've seen the entire series on that, yeah. I mean, they really go after him two ways. Al Pacino's character, Bank, I have a tendency to say Banks because of Mary Poppins, but Bank, he, uh, this is not his first hotel, but the biggest and grandest, I guess. He's uh, obsessed with the prestigious Diamond Awards, five Diamond Awards. So one part of the movie is um, them stripping that away from him. Carl Reiner's character pretends to be the reviewer for the Diamond, and he gets all the the attention and all the, uh, they give him the VIP treatment. Then the real guy comes in, and I'll tell you, the ocean, oh, the team really did him in. They did him in. Bed yeah. bug. I mean, everything you think of. He had a skin rash. He ended up being evicted from the hotel because of poor hygiene. He got kicked out of the hotel. So, But I must say, at the very end, they rigged a slot machine. He won $11 million So for his... Pretty good weekend. Of, yeah. So they messed him up there. Then uh, they wanted to go after... This was opening day. They wanted to have the, the casino pay out $500 million, which they have a new state-of-the-art biometric way of finding out if you're winning correctly or if you're cheating or that sort of thing. And in order to throw that off, they had to bring an expert in who was the Ocean 13 person. And he is Roman Nagel, played by Eddie Izzard. Did I pronounce that correctly? I think so. Okay. Basically, he says you need either a magnetron type of event using a magnetron or a natural disaster. And they go, we'll do both. Yeah. <laughs> They used a drill that uh, created the channel tunnel. It broke, which led them to go back to their enemy. And only thing the enemy wanted, well, he wanted a cut. But the other thing that he wanted is he wanted the diamond necklaces that Pacino would purchase after each hotel would get their five diamond rating. It's a great film. There's a couple twists at the end with Matt Damon's character. I know I can't go into it very much more because we're short on time, but I like it. I think it's better than... Ocean's Eleven. Now, I don't know. I've never seen the original Ocean's Eleven, which is probably pretty good it, with the Rat Pack and it, all that. It's good, but not near as classy because the production values. I mean, Vegas wasn't as swanky as it is now. I mean, but it's an interesting, sure. it's an interesting film to see if you want to see what what Vegas looked like at that time. Just like we talked with Diamonds Are Forever, you go back in these older films, you see the locales, how they've changed. Right. But the sophistication of the film, the film process, I didn't like 12. I thought 11 was great. I thought 13 was good. 12 was okay. Yeah, I skipped okay. over that one. Yeah, it was okay. There's no casino involved. It's okay. No, they're over in Europe, Yeah, as I recall. The next film I'm talking about nominated 11 Academy Awards, only one won for Best Original Screenplay by Robert Town. This screenplay is still considered one of the finest original screenplays. It, it's almost like... It's a, it's a master class if you read it. I've read it. I've got a copy of it. I love original writing. This was inspired by the old, what they called the Water Wars. And he went back, a man by the name of Mulholland, a la, a la Mulholland Drive, was the guy who actually developed the, the water system for L.A. And he used that and brought it forth. And this movie takes place 
1937. And I am talking, of course, about the starring vehicle for Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway, Chinatown, 1974. It was directed by Roman Polanski, who was following up. Of course, he did Rosemary's Baby. It's only five years removed from the tragic death of his wife during the Manson murders. But this film is done in kind of what they call a neo-noir style. It's not a noir film because most noir films, and what we've got to talk about some of those because some of the great crime stuff is in the noir films, most in black and white. But this uses the water right battles uh, and brought it forward. That inspired this. Basically, Jake Giddis, who is Jack Nicholson, is a private investigator who Faye Dunaway comes to visit. She thinks her husband is fooling around. She hires him the very next day. The real Mrs. Mulray comes in, and Mulray is the guy who heads up the water department. They found him. When he's looking for him, unfortunately, the police drag him. He's drowned in a water basin, basically. So then it all conspires, goes on from there, and Nicholson is brought into a really mysterious thing is he's trying to find out who killed Mulray, who's responsible, so on and so forth. And John Huston is the odious, villainous, rich guy who's behind this. And Faye Dunaway is actually his daughter who was married to Mulray. It's a great crime story. One of the things Polanski and Town went back and forth a little bit on the script and Polanski wanted the audience to follow, be able to figure it out just like Nicholson. You, you got to pay attention to this film just like you do in the next one I'm going to talk about. And that's what I love about it. If you got to pay attention to it. But again, 11 nominations for Academy Award, only one going to the original screenplay by Robert Town. Chinatown, 1974. So number three, right? Yep. So number again, I know I said earlier that none of my movies had awards. This particular movie was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture musical or comedy, but that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it's, a, it's somewhat of a comedy, but this movie has Robert Redford in it. And uh, this is kind of right up your alley. He was nominated for Best Actor in the category Movies for Grownups in the AARP Movie Awards. <laughs> now, why is that a... <laughs> Oh, is this this is this is a more recent one? Yes. Yes. This is a 2018. It's a remake of sorts, but it's based on a true story. The name is The Old Man and the Gun. Catchy title. Yes. I love it. Directed by David Laurie, <laughs> starring Robert yeah. Redford as Forrest Tucker. So it's basically it's based on a true story of Forrest Tucker and his audacious escape. Audacious. Is that the right word? Yeah, it's very good. Good word. Yeah, that's a good big word. word. Audacious escape from San Quentin at the age of 70 to an unprecedented string of heists that confounded authorities and enchanted the public. I love this movie. His love interest in the movie is Sissy Spacek. Rip Dorn's cousin we talked about last week. Yeah, see, why does it always happen? Yeah, it is. See, that's what it is. <laughs> All this stuff is interconnected, man. We, but anyway, anyway, I haven't seen the film. I've Oh, you haven't seen no, it? No, I haven't seen it. No, oh, I have not seen it. it. My wife wanted to, she wasn't too keen on seeing it. I haven't seen it yet, so I, I will catch up with it, which I do with several films. But It has Casey Affleck as the uh, police detective. Casey's character, John Hunt, and John Hunt's son are 
in one of the banks, one of the robberies happens. And from that point on, he's like trying to go after this guy when he finally figures out who it is because it's a bunch of old people. You know, you don't think old people. Uh, hey, we're, do, we're quick. Know. We're quick. Don't, <laughs> don't underestimate us. But it, it's pretty funny because he just walks into a bank, opens up his jacket. They see a gun. How you doing, darling? Oh, good, good. What can I help you with? And he just pull the gun and go, well, this is a robbery. But don't worry, you know, everything's going to be good. You're great. You know, that with, uh, you know, like an old person charm, you know, mm -hmm. but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, give me $10,000 and I'll be out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just walks right out. And then they're interviewing, the cops are interviewing all the tellers. Like, he was a really nice man. He was very well-dressed. There's one scene when he meets Jewel, who is Sissy Spacek, which is funny because cops are taking off looking for who robbed. They're actually chasing the vehicle. They don't know it's him. They don't know it's an old guy or anything like that. They're kind of chasing the vehicle. He sees uh, Sissy Spacek's character on the side of the road with car problems. So he is well ahead of of the cops and he just pulls over gets out of the car goes and is talking with her and the pops and the police just whoop, scroll right by it's pretty good i i really like the movie you should watch it i can't believe this is oh. a movie that uh, this might be i mean other than superhero movies and all that jazz this is a movie that i for sure thought you would and this one is this is the movie i've been waiting for you know why it cost one hundred and forty two thousand dollars Grossed eleven million. You would think movies from like the fifties would be one hundred and forty-two thousand. Some of them were in the millions. It sounds like an indie film. You know, it guys on been. a shoestring here. Might yeah. have been. Might have been. Yeah, it could be. But but hey, Robert Redford's in there, even though he's you know. It, it's about the story. You know, it doesn't matter what it costs if you can put it on the screen and be innovative and people care. Hey, it's that's why we love the movies. You just never know which one's going to... And he won the AARP. Oh, I'm sorry. He did not win. He was nominated for it. <laughs> maybe he wasn't old enough. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> My number four. We're back in L.A. again. There's three of the films that I have are centered in L.A. They're all in different periods. This one happens to be... We did the more modern with, with Heat. We did the 1930s with Chinatown. And here we're in the 1950s. This is, again, a... This is movie number... Two, you said two. four. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a, we're yeah, going backwards. We're going, yeah, we are going backwards. Excuse me. My number two film. Some people called this, in fact, uh, I think it was Time Magazine called it the best film of 1997. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards, only won two for Best Adapted Screenplay by the director Curtis Hansen and for Best Supporting Actress Kim Basinger. And I am talking about L.A. Confidential. And this was inspired, it was adapted from a book by James Elroy. He writes a lot of mystery type things about LA in the 50s. This was inspired by the, in the early 1950s, the LA police were involved in a pretty major corruption issue. There was corruption in the, in the department, what they call Bloody Christmas, when uh, five Hispanic youths and two white youths were bludgeoned, beat up by a whole crew of police officers resulting in almost, well, there were 11 indictments, 38 suspensions or something like 100 cops were either transferred, suspended, or indicted. And that episode is inspired in this film when the key care, one of the key characters is a real straight arrow named Ed Exley, who turned evidence against the cops. 
and he's kind of despised in the department. Well, he's given an assignment to investigate a particular murder that occurs that when one of the guys, one of the accused cops, is killed in a shotgun murder that takes place in a diner called the Night Owl Murders. He's teamed up with another guy who's kind of a, he considers him a thug. I got, I'm going to backtrack here because these two actors were relatively unknown at the time. This movie came out in 1997. Ed actually is played by Guy Pierce and a, another foreign actor called Russell Crowe. These two guys get on the case of solving this murder, which leads them to some other things. And Kevin Spacey has a key role as a narcotics officer who also moonlights. He gives information to a... Uh, kind of a sleazy reporter played by uh, Danny DeVito. The real book or the real magazine of that time was called Confidential. It's called Hush Hush in the movie. These two guys following the stream of this one murder end up discovering the corruption throughout the department. It's a pretty rough, in parts is rough, but it's a terrific film. The characters are, are, are great. The acting is superb. And the supporting cast, there's uh, James Cromwell, David Strathern. I talked about Kim Basinger. The music's by Jerry Goldsmith. It's a, really a good film. I watched it again recently and it holds up. It's a rather long movie. And again, you've got to pay attention because I a lot of stuff that's thrown out there. And Russell Crowe has backstory. The reason he's kind of thuggish, he beats up anybody that's mean to women. That's his backstory. He does not like people who mistreat women. And that's an element through the film as well. The two of them together are terrific. So that's L.A. Confidential, 1997. If you haven't seen it, well worth taking a look. Alrighty, so it's my turn with number two. I'm going with a movie that originally came out in 1979 and had some, uh, some popular guys in it, like George Burns. Oh, yeah. I know this one. The movie that I'm talking about is the remake from 2017 called Going in Style. Mm -hmm. um, I actually own this movie and watched it again yesterday. I think it was yesterday. I believe the original title is the same, same yeah, title. Yeah, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. It was Art Carney. I believe it was George Burns, Art Carney, and uh, who was the other one? Mm. Oh, uh, Lee Strasberg. The uh, the actor's studio teacher. Yep. Yeah. This remake, it's directed by Zach Braff. It stars Sir Michael Caine. Always a good choice. Alan Arkin, Morgan Freeman, Matt Dillon is an FBI agent, and Margaret. There's a bunch of people in there. Yeah. Uh, but the one that is the funniest is uh, Christopher Lloyd. He, he, oh, he plays yeah. this character that it's just, you can't hear. He, he's he's so old in this thing. And I don't know if they're, they're a part of a lodge or some sort of club. I digress. Basically, it's about three old guys that have been wronged by their former company. The company was sold. They were told that pension would be honored. They worked for 30-some years. The foreign company decides they're going to pull out and go bankrupt. And then it's found out that this pool of money that's been set aside for pensions was being used to pay back creditors. And what really ticked these guys off was it was their own bank that was in charge of doing it. It is a really good movie. Three old guys. So at one point, they, they want to test out how good they are, and they go to a grocery store. It is hilarious. Alan Arkin, he didn't want to have any part of this at this time in the beginning. And he's driving the guys, and they're going to the uh, store, and he cooks. Alan Arkin's character cooks. They said, well, you stay in the car. Give us the list. They split the list up. And they're in there, and they're they're sticking full pork loins down their <laughs> pants. Uh, it just and it's obvious. And the one security girl, you know, she's keeping an eye, and she starts chasing Michael Caine. Michael Caine leaves, and then Michael Caine goes to actually it was first Morgan Freeman goes to the car that Alan Arkin's his uh, his character is not in the car. And then you see Michael Caine come out, and he's looking. 
and he's not in the car. Well, he had gone in, and during the movie, there's like a, there's an undertone of the Anne Margaret keeps flirting with Alan Arkin's character, which I find funny because a good Christmas movie is Santa Claus Three, and their husband and wife in that movie, they're Mrs. Claus's mom and dad. Anyways, so Michael Caine steals this this electric buggy. You know, he's driving it. It's it's got a basket on the front, and he tells Morgan uh, Freeman to jump in so he's sitting in there and he's they're driving trying to go fast and there's this girl security guard running after him and she's catching up with him he says give me the flower morgan freeman says and he cuts the flower and he he goes like this and then the flower is coming all over they almost hit a bus and they stopped and they got in trouble with the manager and they're looking at the video and you can see it so that was their test and they decided well we need to find somebody to help us rob the bank. Michael Caine's character, his ex-son-in-law, they go to see him. So why'd you come to me? He goes, well, you're a lowlife. We're looking for a lowlife. So anyways, they get some assistance. It's a really funny movie and great actors. I loved it. I, I didn't hear, what'd you say? You want to know how much it cost? No, we, no go ahead. Johnny, you, how much you it cost. That. You love that. You uh, love that. <laughs> it cost $25 million and grossed $52 million. I don't know why it cost, well, it probably cost $25 because of the act. Oh, one last thing I got to say, their alibis, the alibi basically was the, the lodge or clubs, whatever it is, their carnival. Michael Caine went to one guy and said, hey, I'm going to go take over in the window. And he had a flat cap on and he went in there. He said, hey, so-and-so here, I got a flat cap for you. So then, yeah, he's always in there. Uh, Morgan Freeman was in the uh, the funhouse and he said to somebody, okay, George, I'm going in. He was dressed as Frankenstein, had a mask on. So he went in. So it looks like they've been in there the whole time. Alan Arkin's character, first he's in the cotton candy stand and he he turns to Christopher Lloyd's character and says, stomach's turn, I gotta go. I'm going to go to the restroom. Christopher Lloyd's like, oh, I can because oh, I got to help out at the cotton candy, cotton candy booth. And he's like, this is the cotton candy booth. And then he, he whispers in her ear, he goes, there's cocaine in there. And he's like, cocaine? What? He goes, no, I'm just messing with you. So then all these kids are coming there in line and they want to get the cotton candy. So then Christopher Lloyd goes, you can't have any. It's for adults. Cocaine's in it. And then Alan Arkin, his quote alibi is that he went into one of the porta potties and he was in there for an hour because he has some stomach issues. He's Sounds good. like it making fun of old people and I'm not sure that's funny. This is a funny movie. <laughs> I, it's a funny movie. Yeah. Well, my, my last one, my number one should not be a surprise. Almost everybody, anybody that's a movie fan knows of it. Maybe they don't like it as much. I used to think The Gun with, with the Wind was a pretty good film. And of course, a story about uh, Hearst Empire, but I'm talking now about The Godfather. Oh, the that's God a cool one. Yeah, The Godfather is probably, I think, is probably, if not one of the finest films made, only because it's almost perfect in a lot of ways. There's some glitches if you really look at it, but it's so true, and it's again based on a book, Mario Puzo's masterpiece. Everything else he wrote after that was fairly inconsequential. The rights were bought. The screenplay was written with Puzo. It was directed, of course, by Francis Ford Coppola, who wasn't the first choice. Uh, there were some internal struggles with Paramount, but he and Puzo worked separately. Puzo worked in Los Angeles on his adaptation of his novel, Coppola sat up in San Francisco and did it, and they reorchestrated some things, but basically he's true to the book. And of course, we're talking about the Corleone family. Some people think part two 
which is the De Niro film, which introduced really De Niro, put him on the map. Pacino, of course, was the unknown who was brought in here. He, he had made a couple films, but nobody really. Panic in Needle Park. I don't know that a lot of people even watched that film. When they brought him in, actually, when he took the role of Michael, actually, Kane, help me out here, um, Khan. Yeah. James. James Conn. Thank you. I see this kid is on Hawaii Five-0 on the TV. That was James uh, brought to you by... <laughs> Originally, he was going to play Michael, and then they moved him around once they found Pacino. And, of course, it was a masterstroke. They also didn't even want Brando. They thought he was hard to work with. He actually had to do a screen test, and, of course, he's the one that put the cotton balls in the mouth, mumbled. They didn't. Some people didn't like it, but the screenplay sold him on the putting him in there. And, of course, he went on and won Best Actor, an Academy Award of which he did not pick up. He sent Shashim Littlefeather to pick it up at the awards in his place because it was to represent the uh, Indian movement, but he was rejecting the award itself. Uh, that's a side note to this. But the interesting thing about it is it follows the family. I'm, I'm not even going to go through it. I assume most people have know about the film. If you had to own one film, and I would own all three of them, the trilogy, the third one I didn't think was so bad. Sophia got blasted for playing the daughter, which was... <laughs> A legitimate role, actually. But anyway, stellar cast, of course, follows the Scolioni family, the Don, of course, expecting to hand it off to Sonny. Sonny, of course, has killed young Michael, who was the guy that was going to get educated, served in the military. The guy that was going to be the upright guy, maybe become a senator or something, is drawn into the family. And it starts settling the scores and revives the Corleone family and sets the stage, of course, for their movement into Las Vegas and more, shall we say, legitimate uh, maneuvers. It's a great picture that Puzo had about the Italian uh, family issues set against the crime. It's actually the characters. This is where the characters matter. They're real. Even though they're doing bad things, it's all in context. It's not out of context, which does matter in the telling of the story. It won... Uh, a bunch of awards. It was nominated for 11. It won Best Actor for uh, Brando, Puzo, and Coppola. We got Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, Robert Duvall, Best Supporting Act, Best Film Editing, and Nino Rota, who wrote the original score, Coppola for Best Director, and it had Best Sound. It's interesting, Carmine Coppola, who is also a conductor and writer, did some of the secondary music along with Nino Rota, who did the main theme. It's a masterful story, masterful re representation of a very, very successful book. I think Puzo sold originally 9 million copies, which was a pretty big deal. I do remember when I went to see the film, when it opened, I couldn't wait to see it. I had not read the book. I loved the film. And the people that had read the book loved the film. So I like to see a film, even if it's written on a book, sometimes we've talked about this, but this one worked on all levels. And it's, it's literally a masterpiece. It surpassed Gone with the Wind in the highest uh, earnings. I think it was $286 million at the time. Later surpassed, three years later, by that summer spectacular Jaws. And now uh, Endgames. Yeah, I love the movies. Is the third movie, is that where Andy Garcia, was that one of his first movies? I, I know it was one of his first. He showed up. Uh, he'd been in some other films, but he's very good in that one. He's like the hit guy. He's like the, the guy that uh, he's actually the son of one of his former uh, henchmen, I believe. What's, what's the line? Uh, I think I get out and they drag me back in. How's yeah. I, I, every time I get dead out, they drag me back in. Yeah. I thought three wasn't a bad film. It doesn't. It's not on the par with the first or the second. And when Coppola... 
Coppola actually, if you remember, for TV, he blended the two films, the first two films, and he put in a more sequence because then it made sense. He put De Niro to first, and you see how the thing evolved. I know when two came out, I saw it, and that came out in 74. We couldn't wait to see it. I mean, the theaters were packed. Wow. It was just, it was great. Anyway, that's my that's my five. That was a great one, and I must say, in the future, I should go first so that you end, because that was a good one to end. Instead, we're going to go with mine, which I've seen a million times. Actually, I first saw it with my dad at the theater when he was alive. I really liked this movie. The movie from 2008, based on a true story, 21. That's a, Is this the Kevin Spacey... Uh... Yeah, the, it's the story. Yeah. And it's the Harvard students. The MIT students. Oh, MIT, yep. MIT. Who, and this is based on a true story. I don't know yeah. how exact. I'm sure they used some creative license, but I, I really love this movie. Uh, directed by Robert Lukatic. Yeah, Lukatic. Sorry, Robert. Hopefully that's yeah, right. Yeah. I'll get this out of the way. Cost $35 million, grossed $158 million. Stars Jim Stragas, Kevin Spacey, Kate Bosworth, Lawrence Fishburne. He plays the character of the old time. Uh, the, the, he's being his company's being phased out. That all the casinos are getting in the state of the art uh, computer systems that can detect when people are cheating and that's or, or when they're counting. Counting is not illegal, but they don't want you to count. So he's one of the ones that he you know watches them. He's got pictures of people that he thinks and he he figures out that this team is counting. But basically, uh, the movie follows Ben, who, smart, always stays after class, is in MIT, been accepted to Harvard Medical School, cannot pay for it. $300,000 would it cost. He goes for this scholarship that is like a full ride. And he's, you know, telling them that, oh, I'm, I'm in, uh, involved with this and this. So the guy that's listening to him and that takes the interviews for this scholarship, he says, you, you need to wow us. Last year... So-and-so won, and he only had one leg. And then the guy jokes and says, maybe you should cut off one of your legs. <laughs> and, the, and the Ben kid's looking, going, ah. No. So he says, you got to wow us. So basically the whole movie then goes into this whole, there's this group led by Mickey, Mickey, Kevin Spacey. They have come up with a system where there are two big betters. And then there's three smaller betters. The three smaller betters, they go into the casinos, they're at the tables, and they're starting to count and get the count in their head. And when the deck is hot, they do a certain, like they put their arms behind their back, and the big better sees it, sits down, and then the small better says a word. There's a whole language, like I think a suite is plus 16, or paycheck is plus whatever. So then big better then can okay, it's at this. And he's betting, betting, betting. And at first this Ben was very reluctant, but he wanted the money to get into school. So it, it's just the story about like living two lives. They were at school, they were, you know, college kids, but then in Vegas, they had different personas, different, depending on what casino they were at, they were, they had different names and all that kind of stuff. And they were partying. There's a scene where this Ben guy, he wakes up and he reaches over, grabs the phone and says, uh, I need room service, and he's at his dorm. You know, and the lady's like, what the heck do you think this is? I'm like, room service, and hangs up the phone. It's a really good movie. I love it. Mickey, who's in charge, the teacher, basically, who fronts this group, there's a little problem that happens, and Ben gets caught up with Fishburne's character and gets the crap beat out of him. I won't tell you the twist at the end, so I'm not going to go any further on that part. He has to come back on his own. He's all bloodied up. I mean, his eyes are bloodshot. Fishburne would take his regular rings off and then put on these big giant rings and then punch them. So then Ben goes to his dorm 
there's a note taped to the door saying he's been kicked out of MIT. He walks in, it's all, the room's all trashed and his little secret hiding spot that had $350,000 in it, all gone. The rest of the movie's pretty cool. That is my favorite crime movie. Yeah, I saw that. I saw it. I was trying to think. They broke their rules when they went to Vegas, though. Didn't they get themselves in some trouble with 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 Spacey? Didn't they violate yeah, yeah, some yeah. of that's, his codes? That's why he got beat yeah, up. Because yeah, yeah. He, they, they weren't supposed to. You yeah. don't let emotion in. He let emotion yeah. in. He, yeah. got, he was upset because something happened before they left for yeah. the trip. And Spacey left and said, find your own way. And then they just said, well, we can do this without him. We don't need his help. So they went and did it on their own. And that's when uh, Fishburne attacked and grabbed him. And that was a good movie, very good movie. I think we've stretched it, Eddie. What ta- what's the clock on the wall telling us? Well, Johnny, it looks like it's that time again. But before I turn it over to you, as always, we thank you for listening and subscribing to our show. We have a lot of great shows coming up. Next week, we're talking famous movie dialogues. And I've got one here. I'm going to start saying it. Stop me when you know who it is. Ready? Don't talk like you're one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to beat. To them, you're just a freak like me. They need you right now, but they don't. They'll cast you out like a leper. You see their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. Dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allowed them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. The late Heath Ledger. Ledger, the Joker. As the Joker. I was saying, I was, I figured it was coming out of one of those worlds, and I was trying to think, and then, then when I, you got a little farther along, then I, then I got it, yeah. I'm, I Great did film. not give it justice doing it myself. I should have played it, the Joker. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. In two weeks, we're talking, well, ironically, in two weeks, we're talking the Cape Crusader, Then and Now, which will be an awesome show. And in three weeks, we're talking screen adaptations with the theme being the ones that did not work. Did not work. Yeah. Either in our opinion or some, either in our opinion or someone else's opinion. Or financially. Yeah. 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 Please tell your family and friends about our podcast. Anyone can listen for free on Apple Podcast or iHeartRadio. New episodes will drop every Monday. Visit Johnny's blog on our website, wordtalkingmovies.com. There you'll find additional commentary, show notes, and references that were mentioned in the show. The easiest way to subscribe to our podcast is to visit our website, wordtalkingmovies.com. Scrolling to the bottom of the page, clicking either the Apple Podcast button, the Google Podcast button, or the iHeartRadio button. The podcast is also available on all your favorite platforms, except Pandora. If you have a show idea or just want to say, Houston, we have a problem. That's another dialogue. Send a comment through our website, DM us on Instagram, or tweet us at We Talk and Movies. Also, find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash We're Talking Movies. We would love to hear from you. That's it for me. Well, it looks like that's all for today, folks. Until next time, keep your eyes on the silver screen. And as we fade to black, this is Johnny Popcorn and Eddie Klieg saying so long till we're talking again. <laughs>